Hey everyone and welcome to 121 in Flux. I am Peter. I'm joined by Tara. We talk about movies on this show and in this episode we are looking at 1917, the World War One film that just came out and is directed by Sam Mendes and is unique in that it is shot under the, at least the illusion of being one take, one shot the entire time. Obviously that's not entirely true. Obviously there's a lot of tricks to sort of you know, put them together to make it feel that way. But it's still very impressive all the same. Uh, so we'll start spoiler-free as we always do. We'll give you warning before we go into spoilers. Um, we'll, you know, start off with just giving you a basic premise, which for this one is pretty straightforward. It's just two soldiers, World War One, uh, are given the task, the mission, to travel across dangerous territory to get to another platoon that is going to... Uh, attack this other trench, this other front line. Um, but it's a trap. The Germans have planned this and they have to be told to cancel the the plan, cancel the action. And it's just their journey. And it's told under the guise of one shot the entire time from the second they're asked to go and see a you know commanding officer to get the mission all the way until whatever the story takes is, which I'm obviously not going to tell you uh, right now because spoilers. Uh, so that is, uh, that is what it is. So I shall ask the question... Uh, well, first of all, like, how excited were you, and ultimately, how do you feel about 1917? I was excited from the first trailer. I'm a big fan of war films, and um, always excited to get a new one. Um, and especially a World War One movie. We have so many like World War Two films, and I don't want to say World War Two is great, but like World War Two is easy to easier to film. It's easier to tell that story, I think. And we don't really have that many World War One films. And even though they've been kind of popular recently, even with uh, Wonder Woman having a great scene from World War One in it. But um, yeah, so super excited to get a new war film. Um, I'm really excited when I heard it was done in the style that it was. And um, yeah, this movie's definitely made for me. I love it. Really well done. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I mean, I, I was mildly into it from early on just because it was Sam Mendes, because Sam Mendes is a pretty good director. Uh, but it was actually when I heard how it was going to be shot, and you've got Roger Deakins on cinematography, that I kind of like perked up and went, "Oh, hello!" Because I'm not mm-hmm. inherently a, a war movie person. Like, there's there's definitely examples that I like. There's this Pass the Glory. There's um, you know, Black Hawk Down. There's, there's examples of war movies that I enjoy, uh, mm-hmm. but it's not a genre that I gravitate towards. And t- typically when I do, it's because the filmmaking is good. It's because the storytelling is that good that it, you know, it, it rises above what the genre is. It's kind, of, it's kind of the same way that I feel about crime movies. You know, I don't necessarily mm-hmm. like crime movies that much, but every so often there's like a really good one because it's really well made. Uh, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for a one I really, I really am. You know, like, whenever there's a winner in a movie, whether it's Old Boy in the hallway or Shaun of the Dead when he goes to the store to get, mm-hmm. like, a Cornetto or, like, whatever it is. Uh, and then, of course, there's episodes of Mr. Robot that are all one take. There's episodes of, you know, other shows that do it. And uh, Birdman being the big movie that did it kind of in the last, you know, five yeah, or six years. I'd say Birdman was, uh, was a bit strange because it has... It, the whole movie, that's the easiest one to compare it to because the whole movie's done in that style mm. of one take. But I don't know it, in Birdman that it adds very much to the story that other than, hey, what a cool artsy way to make this movie. I can, I can defend it a bit because I, I think the whole point of it in Birdman is to create that frantic backstage feeling. And as someone who, I mean, never professionally, but like at least in like you mm-hmm. know university and school and stuff like that, I was part of like 
stage crews and productions of like concerts and things like that uh the the hectic atmosphere of like sneaking around backstage and getting things and like everyone trying to find each other because they're trying to set different things up oh we need the lighting guy over here we need the this guy over here we need that person over there um like i think it's trying to recreate that that frantic because you know it's obviously typically by their nature movies that are stories that are shot and are are told in what's meant to be one continuous shot are in real Mm -hmm. time um more or less because why how couldn't they be there's no editing in the traditional sense you know right uh so uh, that's interesting sure, and, sure. and i think that's why the concept of a world war one movie that's just a simple journey from point a to point b through dangerous territory told in real time like this uh because as much as world war ii is the easier war to tell stories about because there's a villain <laughs> because there's someone who yeah. unequivocally is the bad guy and we can all hate quite easily because hitler's awful and the yeah. nazi party are awful right all the nazi uniforms they look like I don't know, they look evil <laughs> they look evil yes <laughs> uh i mean hell it's not i don't think it's a, a, a an accident that uh some of the sith uniforms and like star wars for example are clearly modeled after what an ss mm-hmm. like officer would be wearing but anyway uh so that, that that's really intriguing to me because it's just this you know uh, this you know point A to point B story. But I think the one thing that and obviously World War One has a more convoluted back you know because World War Two not only is there a villain but it's really simple right. Mm-hmm. There's a bad guy with a bad you know political party who's invading people and you know either you were invaded or other countries had to step up because hey this is going to get even worse we have to stop him right. You're stopping a bad guy. It's so simple. Yeah. It's, it's it's almost tailor made for movie making. World War One was more of like a domino effect. Yeah, of, like I can know, tell you that Archduke was <laughs> yes assassinated in. I can tell you Sarajevo, and then like I can all tell of a you that, the Germans are invading, and <laughs> I can tell you the Archduke Franz Ferdinand being assassinated as the 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 final straw that started World War One. But I couldn't even begin to tell you the convoluted mess of politics between several European countries that mm-hmm. actually set up for that to actually happen. Because I, I I did it on school. I, I did I did the you know the setup for World War One and World War One as a topic in school, but you know I remember it was weeks of like learning how it started because there was no simple solution to it. It was it was this convoluted mess of of uh, this web of nonsense and royalty that was like related to other royalty in other countries and mm-hmm. all sorts of weird petty Turkey family. Turkey was upset. <laughs> Austria Hungary was like we want turkey also i don't know there's a whole bunch of yeah i mean hell austria hungary is a country doesn't exist anymore you know (laughs) there's countries that don't exist anymore in that war like it's yeah it's confusing empire (laughs) i don't know (laughs) but what world war one does have that world war two does not is a battlefield because world war two is largely you know uh, i'm sure there was a lot of uh, little things as well but you know it's a lot of uh you know air, air raids and things like that it's a lot of obviously there's d-day and you know and, and actual on the ground stuff but world war one has this continuous idea of no there's literally a battleground with a stalemate mm-hmm. that lasted four goddamn years where there's this mm-hmm. one side which is the you know uh starting off with really just the british but ultimately being all the allies and then the french obviously of course and then and the other side is the germans and mm-hmm. They're just at each other constantly for four years. It's like such a simple. Uh, so, on a physical sense, I actually think, from a physical point of view, there's actually it's almost easier to do World War One, at least the way I think about movies. And I, because to me, like jumping around all the political decisions and all that, and seeing people in the war room say, oh, "We have to do this plan of attack," and we have to do this. 
is much less interesting to me than a story on the ground where it's well, the point of view of I one person. I think a lot of the interesting war films that we have, and you mentioned like Pass of Glory, which is a World War One film, and that's mm. that is interesting because of World War One as a setting where, you know, yeah, we just had this stalemate of basically just whoever had the most men because we're tossing them into a meat grinder. And that just ethically and what what it does to you know a country like france lost something like 40 percent of its male population or something crazy during world war one like it's insane <laughs> how many men they lost and that's basically the war that they were fighting they were just fighting like that napoleonic view of whoever has more to 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 throw at an enemy like more people mm. i have more people therefore i'm going to win in the end yeah uh, last but... man standing and I think to me that's more interesting to make movies about because you can just go down to the, like the ground level and focus on the story of one person through this, and you can do that to an extent in World War Two as well. Don't get me wrong; There's, you know that's just what Saving Private Ryan is. I mean, we have we have lots of great World War Two movies. Yeah, I mean, hell, Saving Private Ryan is even kind of the same kind of idea where it's it's about getting to someone to deliver a message, kind of, right? Yeah, but Saving Private Ryan is. It's a lot more Hollywood. Oh, no, it yeah. is. It's, I, I, it's, I, 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 the part that isn't very Hollywood is the beginning, and that is the part that we all remember. Oh, yeah. Obviously, obviously there's tons of differences. I just mean in the idea that it's at its core, it's a journey to get to from point A to point B. And the funny mm-hmm. thing is, is that D-Day, like, that movie doesn't really even need that. When you think about what the story actually is, D-Day is almost like, just like, oh, we want to do D-Day at the start. But it doesn't need to be yeah. there for the story. It doesn't. Like, the, the story can no, start with them the getting the mission. the movie cannot live up to that first scene. <laughs> Which is like almost forty minutes. I'm, I don't think that's true. I, I don't know. I don't remember how long it is, but I yeah. remember it's like a lot. Yeah. So, I mean, hell, arguably, it would have benefited the movie not to have it because then it wouldn't be trying to live up to it. We wouldn't be yeah. sitting there going, "Hey, like this." But is it the, did change war movies forever. This is not as exciting <laughs> as that first twenty-five minutes. Like, can we can we get back to that, yeah. please? Um, whereas this movie, um like so i don't know if i said i liked it yet but i do i like it a lot <laughs> like this this, <laughs> uh, this movie captured me almost from the first second it felt so confident in what it was doing it starts off with something really simple it's a simple image that tells you exactly what you need to know about the start of the story mm-hmm. it starts off and i'm, I'm not gonna spoil it yet, but i'll just i'll describe the opening scene here uh it starts off you know looking at just a, a tranquil field and the camera pulls back and we see our two main characters uh, blake and schofield um they're sort of like lying down they're on like you know rest or whatever and you know the blake gets the gets the the order to he's, he's got to go meet a superior but he's got to grab someone else first he needs, he needs a buddy so he picks his friend but he doesn't say hey do you want to come with me i pick you or anything like that he just stands up he's out of frame because we're not even really seeing their faces yet they're kind of like you know uh, almost in silhouette because of the way they're lying against the sun and all you see is his hand come down into frame and wait for his friend to take it. That, that's, that's the opening, that's the defining moment at the start of this film. It's just a hand waiting for the other person to like grab on. And thematically, this, that, <coughs> that shot has just told me everything I need to know about the heart of this movie more than any line of dialogue ever could. It's, it's so simple, but it's so effective. And it, the fact that it, it, it goes quiet, mm-hmm. it takes time to let it breathe and really makes a point of emphasizing and says, no, here's what this movie's about. It's about him being there for him. And it's yeah, that simple. And we, 
I mean, we know that because they're like right next to each other resting, they probably are comrades in some way. Oh, sure, yeah. But um, we we don't really know how close they are. But when he says like pick another, pick someone else to come with you, um, uh, you know the other guy doesn't volunteer. He's definitely awake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's still he's he's, he's, he's it, hats... a reluctant hand grab. Yeah, his, his helmet's kind of like sort of like yeah over his eyes. His calf's kind of protect his sleep. Maybe he won't pick me. Maybe he won't pick me. Not that <laughs> they know what they're getting into. Like yeah, um, but it's just it's such a simple little thing. It's just one of those things where almost every movie in some capacity and its opening scenes should kind of just have something that says this is what this movie is, right? Even if it's subtle, yeah. and this movie achieves it so quickly and easily without feeling intrusive. To the point where it felt engaging, where it felt like, no, here, this is the story you're about to get. Welcome to mm-hmm. the film. Come in and and go for the ride. Uh, and so many movies start with like text crawls or like, <laughs> like you know, exposition <laughs> explaining everything that's going on. Or it's like, no, 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 no. It's this simple. We'll get to the details later. The details will come. No, I mean, there's enough in here. Like, even if you don't know anything about World War One, you probably know about trenches. And mm-hmm. it's it's sort of a film that teaches you everything uh, that you need to know for these guys anyway about the war oh i have no Uh, doubt that this is going to be used uh you know because when i was doing history in school i remember we'd watch movies because here i want you to see what it looked like and this is the best way of doing it (laughs) is because they've made movies that are quite accurate at least visually Mm -hmm. even if the uh you know the stories are made up uh and i have no doubt this will be shown in schools like in years to come oh yeah no doubt like that this will be it is i mean it is graphic but it is uh and and sickly but it's i think yeah i think you can get a waiver from the parents to watch this film in school <laughs> um well i mean in the uk it's a 15 so that's like okay for uh you know the last like three years of school so <laughs> no waivers required <laughs> <laughs> they are ratings usually a bit... you have to get parents permission yeah our, our ratings a bit more pesky yeah uh so no i i loved it i i thought it was the, the imagery was beautiful uh it told its story with not a lot of dialogue there is dialogue but like so much of it's them having to be quiet because they're sneaking around or they're, they're scared yeah. or, or or whatever that there's not a whole lot of talking but there's moments of beauty there's moments even in the 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 horror parts of it where it's still kind of beautiful I'll, i won't go into the details i'll just say there's, a, there's an entire section of the movie which is lit by fire and it's, it's you know it's, fire it, and flares and it's basically in hell. It's like the apocalypse, but yeah. it's there's something oddly beautiful about the whole thing. It's very haunting. At That's the why you get Deacons, right? Man, he's the best. <laughs> I, I mean, I didn't even realize it was him until I saw the movie, and I went, "Oh, of course it is!" Like, <laughs> the man knows how to shoot a film, and uh, if you're going to do something that has that, um, that camera trickery where you're, you're telling the story with. The, the the style that you're shooting of one shot like yeah get deacons he's the best and i think the score does a lot for it too Uh, as soon soon as a a decision is made and we're going into a next scene like and then like the score kicks in and it's uh it tells you okay like remember to breathe (laughs) there's like a pulsating uh ness to the score that um really amplifies everything and yeah, I, I'm really impressed by this film. Yeah, the score's very good. The score does this thing, like you say, where it kind of kicks in. Because there's this points where there's no score for a while, but then it'll mm-hmm. kick in um, uh, at key moments. And it's always meant to feel noticeable because it is kind of... 
it's like a mission statement moment where the characters yeah. you know made the choice to start moving so the scrolls start moving with them uh, mm-hmm. and it's really effective when it does that uh, you've got obviously the acting from the two leads is is very strong uh, they're very sort of natural very you can tell they feel like old friends even if they never met each other before the war they've become old friends uh during the war uh so that that works really well uh, there's some there's some kind of like faces who pop up you know as, as the as the superior officers here or there the, the, the three that stick out are colin firth um and uh mark strong mark strong and then eventually by the cumberbatch and you know, it's, it's it's kind of that old age tactic of okay, we've got some no names essentially in the the lead roles, but we're going to pepper out some of these like minor roles with these bigger stars, um, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it does make the people that they're seeing like they have to they have to get to their superior officers like feel like oh yeah, not just are they supposed to be superior officers, but they are like well respected actors, mm. so it does kind of make it. I don't know like even when you're watching it you're like oh yeah these actors have authority of the scene yeah it's like it's almost a meta thing where in the real world mm-hmm. we see them as being higher up in the food chain so it yeah. kind of lends itself to the to the movie itself yeah no i get yeah, that. i think it's smartly done yeah uh so i don't know we have to just say spoilers so we can start talking about uh all the stuff that's in there so okay uh so full spoilers for 1917 i will take this time though before we start the spoiler section to thank our patreon producers of david shaw alison m forday cindy Palacios, and tyler hess that means they're all patreon uh you know uh or they're all patrons to say the word properly they're all patrons uh, at the 20 dollar tier up but you don't have to be a 20 dollar patron over there do you tara not at all you can just check out our patreon page at patreon.com slash miles tv and you can donate as little as a dollar per month, and that'll get you bonus episodes of shows that we do here called The Ace, Atomic Cinema Experiment. That's our science fiction movie podcast. Or Screams After Midnight, you get bonus episodes of those as well. Um, you also get other bonus bits of tangents that don't make it into the, the final cut. And um, yeah, go check it out. Lots of things. Yeah, which reminds me, I've got a Tim bonus about that, and he's still published on Patreon from last week. Um, Oh, have you had one of those before? I need to remember that. I've had one with Tim before, but this is, uh, I think, the second one with Tim. But anyway, let's uh, get into the spoilers then for 1917. So, uh, you know, it's it's, it's a sign of a well-constructed movie where I I can very vividly remember kind of the sequence of events without really trying too hard. Yeah. Well, this this movie is structured very, very well. Like, you go from scene to scene, and every time you... Like, the whole movie is about traveling, so every time you get to a new location, it's like, okay, here's the new location and here's the new obstacle at the location. It's uh, So I think it's kind of easy to remember for that reason. Yeah. Uh, like I said, I described the opening scene. Once they do get up and they start walking back, they're, they're walking sort of back and the camera's, you know, going back in front of them. You know, they're walking towards the mm-hmm. camera. Um, eventually they start to lower as they're talking. It's, it's them like talking about, you know, wanting good food or whatever. It's, it's, it's just normal, you know, friendly stuff. Them complain that they want good food. Uh, and, you know, the, you know, one of them's got a letter from back home and uh, he's all excited to hear from his, his you know, mm-hmm. wife or girlfriend. And it's, it's normal stuff uh, just to sort of humanize them. But I really love the slow reveal of the trench because, like, because I actually thought to myself, this is weird. They come in from the side of the trench. That seems dangerous. But then very quickly you realize that this is, you know, no, no, no. The trenches go back the way as well. It's like a sort of almost like a grid formation to these trenches. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then until you get to the eventually the front. Um, 
and it was, we see them go through it. And it's, it's one of those things where I'm just so concentrated on the characters that all of a sudden they're like in the trench. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, wait, when did things get dangerous? And it's one of these things where doing a one-world that's this long, even when it's just them talking and walking through a scene with all these extras, it's already really difficult. Don't get me started when we get later on and there's explosions going off and there's, you know, extras mm-hmm. running across in front of them and things like that. We'll get to all those big moments, but uh, it obviously gets the orders from Colin Firth uh, and it's like... and. I love that they specifically asked for Blake because they know his mm-hmm. brother's in the other the other uh, line. They say he's he's good with maps and he's got a brother in yeah it's in a, that it's other. A, it's basically they're they're hedging their bets that he's got, he's got a personal motivation to to get yeah. there. He's he's got that extra little push that it might take to actually pull this off. Uh, mm-hmm. But they're told they're going over the line, and very quickly the, the mood changes from them joking to being t- terrified because you know. And when they get outside the little uh, you know the little uh, you know digging they're like Schofield's like no we should wait until dark I know we said to go right now but we should wait until dark because we've got more of a chance of getting across no man's land he's like no no he told (laughs) us to go right now he said they've pulled back and they don't believe them and who can blame them because for three years at this point every time someone stuck their head up above the trench they were getting shot and you know killed that was World War One uh yeah and we still see somebody in the trench like being carried away who's got a head wound yeah yeah so clearly there's still stuff going on um and obviously there's a bit of tension before they go out there, but I mean, one of the best sequences of the movie has to be them actually going up over the, the top and sneaking through No Man's Land, like hiding behind, you know, little mounds. They're, they're, they end up next to bodies that are like sticking out of the yeah. dart and just all sorts. Uh, in fact, at one point, Schofield, uh, there's like a dead body next to him and he, he gets startled and falls back and his hand goes inside the guy's stomach. Yeah, after he... So when they, when they go over into No Man's Land and the first they're like crawling on their bellies and then they realize that okay they can get up and move around over the dead horses and then he has to pull back the barbed wire and it slips and cuts his hand Mm. in the barbed wire and that same hand goes into a dead body when he gets startled (laughs) god i hope he's i I hope that guy that died didn't have any diseases that passed on via blood because geez um yeah after well yeah because he first notices the dead body because a rat crawls out yeah, of it <laughs> yeah not the healthiest looking place to be sticking your, your cut hand into uh no sir and it, all the water like you see the crater with the waters with the, the mm. water that's filled it in and it's all like it, it just looks like like old standing like sewer water like it, it's just filled with dead bodies and you mentioned the uh the, the dead horses the second horse they passed there's literally bits of the, the horse's skeleton like the skull is like sticking like the, the skin's deteriorated yeah, like you can it's see. been there for a long time yeah i, I thought that and was they really nasty by a tank which is one of those crazy things about world war one is that they still fought with horses and tanks and then planes eventually <laughs> yeah because we see like these early biplanes like in the sky uh you know a couple of times as, as they're as they're going across the uh no man's land and mm-hmm. there's, so there's a lot of sneaking there's a lot of you know and they're warned before they go that some of the craters are bigger than they look and if you fall in them you're not getting back out uh yeah. like you know you, you can't claim your way out they're, they're too deep so mm-hmm. you know we, we get this dense and it's it's there's no talking it's them sneaking across it's like a good five ten minute sequence and it's thrilling the whole way because keep in mind here it's not cutting from shot to shot the camera the entire time is constantly having things in the foreground to show you that just the destruction and how dangerous this place is yeah. and you know so on and so just forth like 
you can you can make something out like is that a head <laughs> is, that, is that oh that's a hand yep that's a dead body oh, oh it's like gray <laughs> in fact jo, jo, so me and tara do you know the ace the atomic slam experiment and we did the entire terminator franchise this scene here is what i want a future terminator movie to feel like is them sneaking across like this and there's like you know skulls in the ground and shit in one take in one take yeah <laughs> T-800s in the background with the laser guns. <laughs> that would be the next big thing. The, big, the next big movie trope is that it's all done in one take. It will be like, it'll be like the next big, uh, oh, it's a big movie thing right now. Um, found footage was a thing uh, for a while. Like, like, um, like found footage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it'll be the next style. Is that what you said? That's what I said, yeah. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> um yes that said though here's here's the difference though is found footage is was so like quick to catch on because it's relatively speaking so easy to do like it's true it's cheap it's so cheap this is really hard like this takes so much effort and skill so even if this becomes a trend bring it on i i'm all for it i'll take tons of winners well i mean this this is the right movie to do it for though right because we sort of talked about it but like I haven't seen like the TV shows you're talking about. I've only seen mm-hmm. Birdman with the one take and I've seen Creed that had the one take with the, with the fight. And I, I have seen the scene in children of men that does the one take. And every time it puts you in there, it puts you in the fight, it puts you in the car and the it's exhilarating. <laughs> and to do a war movie like that is so brilliant. Like, cause the whole thing is supposed to be exhilarating and it's meant to, put you right there in it there's no and rest i don't think there's a better way to do that yeah there's, there's this like i mean even though there is like tr- more tranquil moments like it, there really is technically no rest ever because they're in world war one um do you know what a good example do you know a good movie to do something like, it's like imagine dread in one take because it's all in the one building they could do that in one take you know cool. that, that, i mean that could be a fun experiment uh i was kind of i also was kind of thinking it was very much like a video game but maybe that's because god of war was also done in that style of one take <laughs> i mean yeah it's like the same thing in a video game though because it's, it's easy <laughs> well yeah but like I, Wait, don't get me you wrong. know don't get me wrong. you have I'm a not... character in front and you're often like just seeing the back of them as they're wandering through environment and the environment suddenly changes don't, don't, like, get me, don't, don't get me wrong making video games itself is not easy but the choice to just never have the camera cut away from the back of the character's you know body uh or, or i mean it does spin it, around i've never seen that in a video game before um i mean lots of games have that perspective it, all they did in god of war was choose to if they're going to a cut scene always have the camera come around from behind from where it was it never just cuts to the next bit yeah um and it always spins back around to, to the end um there's definitely bits of that in a lot of video games but i think god of war is maybe the first one to be like no we're never cutting the entire mm-hmm. time it's going to stay continuous uh but it's a digital world so it is that that part of it at least is easy you know obviously the rest of the game you make is not easy there's, there's so much effort goes into making video games but compared yeah. to real live action shooting that part is easy because it's just you know it's digital you can put the camera wherever you want <laughs> there's no right. you can design the characters to keep going you yeah. don't have to you know, keep your actors going for, you know, long, long takes. Yeah, there's several scenes because you know after the, the no man's land bit, we have the bit where they arrive in the in the German trench and they see how different it is. It looks it's constructed a little bit differently. They get inside and find that there's actually beds. There's like bunk beds yeah. like all over the place. The, the younger guys like, look how big this is. <laughs> like, what is this hanging? I think they have they have bread hanging. 
mm-hmm. from the from like above their. I'm, I don't know what that is. I think it's bread because I think they did that in Das Boot also, the German sub movie, because mm. they also had like bread hanging from their um, from their beds. Yeah, and it, the whole thing's uh, it's just like this is how different it is over here. Um, and the fact that they abandoned this because they've all left they've all just left willingly but they've left all this food behind because they don't care like it just it shows just how different things are uh right it shows how confident the the germans are still like mm-hmm. they're everything it, it's a little bit demoralizing you know because you get there and everything is just better like the trenches are better built um they they have better sleeping arrangements they have tons of food that they can just leave they leave ammunition behind. They just blow stuff up. Like they yeah. have, they clearly have a lot of resources to burn that the allied sides don't anymore. And the, or at the, least they have the illusion of it. And they do leave traps, uh, and that's kind of the big thing that happens here is that Schofield, um, well, it's not even. I mean, it's the rat, right? The rat sets well, off. Schofield finds the tripwire. Yeah, he finds the tripwire. And then a rat like takes one of those. Thing, hanging bread things off and starts carrying it and like immediately sets it off you hear him going no 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 <laughs> yeah and then and, boom and we get this sequence here because blake digs schofield out of the rubble um and he is alive but he can't see anything like all the dust and debris of the explosion are in his face and in his eyes and he can't see anything mm-hmm. and they have to escape and because the trench is coming down the, the trench is coming down so blake has to escort his comrade who is blind right now through and he has to like at one point he's like you have to jump this little gap and he's like you have to trust me and just jump and i'll catch you so what's so beautiful about this is that through action it shows how much trust uh they have with each other even if he hesitates and he obviously does hesitate because who wouldn't hesitate (laughs) and he'd make a Mm blind jump but when they get out the other side and it's like hey you can turn back and you know when i picked you for this mission i didn't know what i was picking you for i thought it would be you know going like fetch food from somewhere or something like that i didn't realize it was going to be this ridiculous you know travel across no man's land and and schofield doesn't even say no i'm not going back he just says shoot the damn flare because they've got a flare to shoot when they get off you'll get to the other side um and it just just witnessing this and the fact that i mean schofield just had his life completely saved and guided by his friend here and so yeah even though we get the sense there was a bond before for us the audience we've just seen the real proof we've just seen the real evidence of them going through well, hell together we get we get a good character moment here because he says you know why on earth did you pick me like he, he really like goes to attack like not physically attack him but you know, like you, you should have picked somebody else you didn't have to pick me he's Schofield has already been in some battle where he gets uh, a ribbon for he gets some kind of medal and Schofield does not want to do that again he's trying to just skate by as mm. much as possible until like we get and Blake is clearly younger and has not seen battle and is eager to like do something and you know also his brother is um, clearly a motivation like i gotta do this but he he's not like he, yeah, he I, still I, has something I, to prove by being there i wouldn't describe him as eager to do battle necessarily because i don't think he comes across that strong but he he, he does still kind of see the because whenever he talks about the medal that schofield had and schofield that gave he still it up, has respect for it yeah he, like he, he he wants a medal like he yeah if he could bring something home and prove that he you know was a but, man but out I there or whatever. Then. But I wouldn't describe him as someone who is like 
you know, I need to go and prove myself kind of thing. He doesn't come across that way. I mean, the motivation here is still very much about his brother, but yeah. it's, it's almost like I the medal. So there is a clear contrast between the two of them. Like, Schofield, oh, sure, oh, sure. Absolutely, because Schofield, um, like, he's just done. He doesn't care about medals. He's kind of cynical about the whole affair. Uh, yeah. And Blake, like, like, like I was saying, he's not... I don't think he's not because if you watch a lot of war movies and you see all these soldiers who are like, oh, that before before they've had the, had the, had this beat out of them, they're all gone ho and want to prove that they're badasses. You know, it's Bill Paxton and aliens. You know, we're the ultimate badasses. As this goes, show like how good we are. Like, <laughs> yeah, and, Blake's not that, and he's he not that at all. Much, he he's more of a like when he says, well, you know, you saved my life and you showed extreme valor, so you're going to get a medal for that. He's like, oh, you think? Like he's still like excited by the idea of being a good soldier yeah and yeah. doing his duty but he's not a hothead i i wouldn't you know he's, he's definitely more mm. level-headed than that i think yeah. um but yeah you know you're so we have this great moment where okay so this is the point where blake gives him an out you can go back and he doesn't take it even after this and you know i mean partly because he feels like he owes him after that because blake did just you know keep him alive because he would be dead if it wasn't for blake at this point um and it's this thing yeah. and then we after this we get this sort of tranquil moment where they're going through it's like uh this orchard uh they're, they're going Cheers. through it yeah this cherry orchard um and i love the 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 the, the, the shooting style here uh the, the camera kind of comes down the side and they're it's going past all the all the all the cherry blossoms uh and because there's no actual cherries yet they can't see you know it's like because uh schofield doesn't know what it is exactly and blake's other cherries it's like how do you know that it's because oh we, you know we've got an orchard back home my mom plants them um mm-hmm. and just the way the camera's like sort of dancing down the sort of the side of this 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 little farm as the as they're walking through it is it's, it's, it's so different just from minutes ago when they were in a trench you know <laughs> like it's all of a sudden there's beauty in the world yeah. again he describes it as like when when the cherry blossoms happen it's like you go outside and even though it's spring it looks like it was just snowing and you know my brother and i we go out there and we pick them all and it takes the whole day and it's it's just this nice scene that you can have in your head and even though the cherry blossoms are all cut down blake's like no don't worry that you know they'll rot and they'll regrow more than ever now you're like oh, that's kind of sweet. <laughs> well, I mean, that's uh, that's an obvious message there, just for the idea of like, okay, we're going to lose a lot of people in the war, but we're going to be stronger than ever afterwards. Like, you know, this is it's a pretty clear little. Yeah, but it, it's just it's so it's nice to have the metaphor, but also just that type of character in the in the scene where he's optimistic. No, sure. it's okay. Like, they think that they've chopped everything down, but everything will regrow and. It's it's not it's not as bad as it seems. Yes, and of course this really humanizes him. Obviously, so not in the last between this scene of him talking about his brother and his family in the, the orchard and uh, saving Schofield yeah. in the trench. At this point, the movie's done a really good job of making us really sympathetic and make us really care for Blake, which is important because he's about to die and yeah. <laughs> that is going to hurt. And they get to this little farmhouse and they sort of look oh through boy. it and they they're looking for stuff and it's like that you know it's all. Some supplies, but not a lot. You know, they've cleared this place out. Uh, the big thing is, there's a cow, <laughs> which uh, because at this point they've, they've wasted all the water, getting like all the dust out of Schofield's eyes. Their canteens are mm-hmm. empty, but there's like a, a, a just a bucket of milk next to this one living cow. Um, and even as someone who likes milk, the thought of just taking it right out of the cow like that and just drinking it made me feel. Ugh. 
All right. Now, admittedly, if I'm in World War One and I'm def- desperately thirsty, I'm sure I'll just go for it. But like, plus, you haven't had to eat like real food in a long time, and mm-hmm. milk would be a familiar taste. And yeah, something like that. So you I felt, don't drink, but Phil's just canting up. Well, I gave up milk too. I love milk, but I had to do it for health reasons. So, um, I've been milk free since September. You're no longer a baby. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so that's what that's what Arnold says. Milk is for babies. <laughs> milk is for babies. Uh, so <laughs> they once again see these planes, uh, but there's a third one this time. So there's there's two. Uh, British planes fighting a German plane. We get a dogfight. Yeah, but all from the ground. We don't, you know, cut up to the sky. It's all from their POV because, again, it's no, the same shot. No, Dunkirk. Yeah. And thankfully. Uh, so... <laughs> Regretfully. No, no. I love this movie. I love this. <laughs> uh, so, well, this is the thing. I don't like Dunkirk. And the, I mean, even though Dunkirk is technically this, this great, you know, technical exercise... Here's the thing that 1917 has that Dunkirk doesn't have. Apart, you know, apart I mean, from, I can say. it has characters. <laughs> it's a novel We're concept. I know it's a novel concept. I'm just clear distinction between the two. Uh, anyway, so I know uh, that Nolan guy sure needs to go to like a film school or something. <laughs> he's hey Dunkirk's the only movie he's made I don't like. All right, it's like. The one I like the most. <laughs> <laughs> Tanette looks fantastic. I am I'm all aboard the Tanette train. Uh, but anyway, so so uh, the German plane gets shot down and they're all happy about it. But you, you know where this is going, right? You know this plane's coming towards them as it's crashing. Yeah, because you see it go down behind the hill. Yeah. But you don't hear a crash. Yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Comes right at them and they're able to get away in time and it's not a big deal it crashes kind of into the barn kind of area yeah uh but they they save and this is the thing if we didn't already care about blake blake and schofield rescue this german pilot from the plane and blake's like we need to help him go get some water from the well and we can treat his wounds and the camera follows uh, schofield to the well mm-hmm. And it follows him up to the well. He's getting stuff there, and then he hears a bit. Of, he hears something. We don't see anything. He he looks over. We just hear stop. No. Yeah, and it's not until he looks over, and then he starts running back, and then the camera turns, and we see uh, the pilot has stabbed Blake. Uh, and it, so Belly. so it makes us hate the the pilot, of course, because uh, like he just killed Blake. But the idea that Blake wanted to help this man, even though he's on the opposite side, because ultimately most people in a war are there because they have to be, not because they are, you know. Like the the other people making decisions who care about like yes we must annihilate the British or, or whatever like you know he's just a good dude who's been constructed or whatever yeah they've know. been drafted I don't know if drafted is the right word but they've you know they've gone to war to fight because they were told that they had to for their country yeah. and, and don't get me okay. wrong he could but be maybe the German side is the same um he he could be a garbage human being as well I mean it's entirely possible like just like the people on the British side could be garbage human beings. Right, mm-hmm. I have no doubt. Tons of those people are absolute assholes. Right, a lot of them are really good people who are heroes. A lot of them also help fight, but we're also complete dickheads about it. Uh, and, you know, it's just the way it is. People are good or bad, and being in the in the war doesn't make them one or the other. It's just they're all there. Um, mm-hmm. So, but you know, that this leaves him on his own. And we get the, the dying scene where Blake is, you know, dying and saying you know tell my mom this or whatever uh yeah it's so heartbreaking and 
I mean, he's been stabbed in the belly, but you know, we watch a lot of action movies. Sometimes they can recover, like whatever. Yeah. Just put poor little um, gunpowder in, light on fire, and then <laughs> reverse nope. for Rambo. Um, <laughs> but you you could see as he's going like this, his uniform soaking in blood a little bit more and more, and his 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 face because he's he's kind of got some chub on him, so like. Mm. He's usually got these really bright rosy cheeks, but you can see his face just go like wider and wider and wider yeah. throughout the scene where he's dying. And it's slow, like it takes its time. I, I, I'm i wondering actually if that effect where he's going whiter is actually a digital effect because I don't know how... It they, has to be. Yeah, I don't like know how, I watched it really close. And I, it's just like, oh. I, I don't know how they could have achieved that um, during the take without it being something they did later in post. Uh, so I mean it's really effective it works really well uh, a, a little touch is he, he has to see his, his photo of his family and Schofield gets out from the case that it's in is like drenched in blood like you know and this was yeah. up his chest so you can tell the blood's really you know moving around yeah. uh, and the know, map gets soaked in blood and it, w- w- one of the things that makes it really you know like afterwards after he's dead like Schofield takes off his rings uh, and his dog tags uh, you know to give to his brother uh you know and his family members and but actually this is something that obviously is implied in a lot of movies after someone dies or whatever but haven't he actually just sort of witnessed every beat of it <laughs> like no he has to actually reach across and take this off the dead man's hand uh yeah you know it, there's this kind of morbid you understand why he's doing it but it feels kind of like uncomfortable the entire time it has a real edge to it yeah yeah it's really effective uh and then of course yeah hard death to watch plus it you know we don't the camera is always on schofield so like even when we don't really see the stabbing happen we just see him like pulling out the knife and you're like uh and it and it's almost like okay you can you can get up let's try walking nope nope let go of me you bastard and it just it's it's almost like you, you don't I don't know, like, you don't get these kind of death scenes very often where it's just done so realistically that it's almost, it almost looks fake, but it, it's the most real that I've seen probably in film. Hmm. Um, so British shoulders show up. Uh, they, they, they run into, I guess, the squad, this platoon that's moving um, to uh, another town, and they happen to be going through uh, the town that's near where he's going, so they can get taken part of the way. This is where we meet Mark Strong, who, uh, you know, here's what's happened. Uh, a couple of the soldiers help him move, uh, you know, Blake's body. Um, and it's all very morbid. And I, I think I, I really like this next little chunk where that's actually sort of like, you know, cuts down the journey a little bit because we're in a truck for, you know, five, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. And Schofield's just quiet. You know, Mark Strong says, like, make room for him, make room for him. You know, this is a, he's on an important mission. And the others that I hear who all know each other are just sort of talking. They're just bantering and talking about various things. They're cracking jokes. They're talking about whatever. And Schofield's just sitting there with a ghost face, you know, just not able to really emote. He's not engaging in anything. Uh, we hear, you know, variety of accents, a Sikh soldier, the Scottish soldier in there. Um, yeah. And I, one of my favorite moments of the movie, partly because it's just so low key, is like, because obviously up until this point, he's been the one who is along for the ride. And... Blake mm-hmm. was the one with the motivation. He was reluctant. Yeah. And the, the the truck ends up getting stuck in a ditch. There's like a sort of muddy ditch. And they get out and Blake immediately says, okay, we have to push it. We have to go now. I'm on an important thing. And he starts trying to push it himself. A couple sort of help in and it's, it's not really working. 
So, and he begs. Yeah. He, he's Everybody like, out of the truck. Everybody out. <laughs> but, you know, he begs. He, you know, after a couple of tries, yeah. which is two or three of them, he says, no, no, this is important. I have to go. We have to go right now. Um, yeah. They get the truck moving eventually, but it takes everyone to help in. And there's a great shot yeah. where everyone else is pushing against the truck, but Schofield in the middle is actually facing us. He's got his back yeah, to the truck. Yeah, the strain in his face, like his face is like purple because he's pushing so hard. Yeah, but it's just, it's a beautiful visual because he's the only one facing us. Everyone else yeah. is facing one direction and he's facing us. He's like different from the rest of them. And it's interestingly not until he turns around and helps pushing it mm-hmm. with everyone else that the truck actually moves. Mm-hmm. He had to be on the page with everyone else before it moved. There's a, there's a little bit of symbolism there, which is really nice. Uh, but I just I love that image. That image of him struggling and begging to move the truck. It was like, okay, the motivation is there now. He he's now yeah. He's now got he needs to make this death mean something. You yeah. know, he just lost his buddy. So who's just so young and like yeah. Yeah, and then it's when they get back on the truck, he actually opens up a little bit when they ask him like what he's doing and what he's there to do. Uh, and they you know wish him good luck when he leaves, and because uh, they get they get to a bridge that's down, and it's like okay, we can't cross you, we have to take a detour. Yeah, they get to Acosta or something, which is where they were. The 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 regiment that he's trying to get to is on is just past the town of Acosta, and the the truck is originally supposed to go through that town, but the bridge is down. Mm-hmm. So he has to get out. Uh, interesting bit from Mark Strong here uh, that I quite liked is that he's like, okay, uh, good luck. I hope hopefully you make it. But he gives him a little bit of advice. He says, if you get to the you know the, the lieutenant, um, make sure there's witnesses when you give him that note. And he's like, yeah, but there, yeah. Are, there are orders. And he's like, yeah, but some men really want the fight. So get witnesses. And I thought that was a really interesting little bit of advice. It was like, make sure other people see that this has to stop. Uh, yeah. Again, like it reminded me of, there's a couple of key scenes that really remind me of Paths of Glory. Oh, Because sure. it's a, it's it's just the scene of, oh yeah, there are men generals who are looking down at the war and not uh, accounting for, for the men. The men aren't aren't people to them. They're just numbers. They're things that they can use to, to win. <laughs> so, like it's the war is different when you're in your ivory tower looking down. Hmm. Movies are different when you're in your ivory tower looking down as well. So mm-hmm. I've heard. Yeah. Must be lonely up there, huh? <laughs> so, uh, this is actually when he starts getting shot at. It's just right after the trucks leave that he, uh, there's like a, there's a, you know, a soldier in a, in a, in a building somewhere taking shots at him and he mm-hmm. has to duck and dive. And it leads to the, uh, the one real cut in the movie uh, with a bit of a time jump because he gets knocked out unconscious when he gets to the German soldier. It's a very tense, you know, well-shot scene. And when he gets up there, he shoots him, but he also seems to either take a shot or get knocked back when he does so. He gets shot in the head because his helmet gets blown off. Ah, you're right, you're right, yeah. Um, it happens so quick, and see, this is the benefit of you seeing it twice, <laughs> but I, uh, you know, it happens so quick, I wasn't sure exactly how he get hit. Uh, but he was clearly mm-hmm. fine when he woke up later, but I was like, okay, what exactly happened to him? But he... he uh, he gets knocked out. You know, he wakes up and it's dark. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. So there is at least one cut. There's one t- time jump uh, in the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, narratively, it makes sense though because he's knocked out. So I won't, I won't uh, give that shit. The only complaint I have, the only cheat that I felt time wise, is actually right after he wakes up. Bizarrely, um, but the camera goes up past where the dead German soldier is out the window, 
and looks at the mm-hmm. town and there's all this fire and it's dark so it's this really pretty but apocalyptic looking thing um and i knew the camera was going to come down and he was going to come into frame but it happened really quick like i, I was expecting it to be like a, a whole minute or something without him on frame and as soon as i had that well, it's thought, not like a big building like it was just one floor that he went up yeah and but the it, entrance is right at the stairs yeah but he was lying down in pain like he hadn't got up yet like I was expecting like a good minute of watching just the burning buildings before he would eventually walk into frame, and then it happened almost immediately. Maybe I'll feel differently when I watch it again, but like I felt like the timing just felt too quick. It's not a big deal, but like it's like one time in the I don't whole think movie. I think you need the movie. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Everything Tyler loves is a ten, and if you dare question any one bit, you're giving it like a four. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying, you've got a track record uh, <laughs> with this shit. Uh, I know. But, uh, it didn't bother me. But we get this fantastic game of cat and mouse where he's sneaking through uh, this burning village, this burning town. Uh, the buildings are only half standing. You know, there's walls just sort yeah. of on their own and things like that. And, and it keeps getting lit by flares. Like, the flares mm, will come over it, which offers another kind of strange lighting where all of a sudden, like... The parts that were dark or only lit by like a flame were now like super bright from the flares. I, I think it's safe to, I think it's safe to see from purely a visual perspective this is the most pretty section of the movie, is all this stuff in uh, the town. Yeah. Uh it is absolutely <laughs> stunning. And he actually ends up hiding in a, a, a little like a uh, basement like uh area at one point with and he finds a woman, like a French woman with a baby. Uh, and it turns out that it's not her baby. She's just looking after it because she found a baby. Yeah. Uh, what's the baby's name? Je ne sais pas. Yeah, um, whose baby is it? Jennifer. And <laughs> she, uh, she, she, you know, she helps him heal a little bit because uh, the back of his head is obviously still hurt from the 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 bullet. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, like, and they kind of bond a little bit. He leaves all of his supplies. He's like, "Hey, here's all the food I've got for you and the baby." Yeah. Once he sees there's a baby, and like he has a little bond with her, with the baby, and then he's like, "Here, just take, just take everything. Take all the. I have, I have food." She's like, well, it's a baby. The baby can't eat this food. It's like, I, he needs milk. I'm like, oh, just so happens uh, I ran into a cow earlier. <laughs> Very convenient. <laughs> but no, I like that. Um, what's interesting is that here she asks if he has children. And it was, yeah. it was at this point I noted that he's never actually talked about in the movie up until this point uh, about uh, his there, life. There is one point where he talks about, he was talking to Blake about um, going home. And how he hated going home because the whole time he was home, he knew he was going to have to leave them. Yeah, but he never talked about who was there. He just, you know, he said his family. That's yeah. all. Yeah, yeah, it was very vague. That could be his parents. That could be, you know, brothers sure. and sisters. But he seems so young, especially like yeah. next to Blake. Like they, they, they both just look like children. And and I, th- I think that's actually, you know, I'll bring this back up when we get to the ending because I think it's important there. But uh, it really sort of stuck out to me that he doesn't answer the question. And he just kind of keeps going with you know what he's doing, uh, but he goes yeah. to leave. And at this point, he has nothing. Like you know, he may not even have his gun at this. He loses, if he doesn't lose his gun yet, he's lost it soon because. But uh, I think I think he loses it when he yeah when he jumps because uh, he yeah because he jumps in the, the water at one point to you know get away. But uh, he because at one point here he's stealthily sneaking around and he has to actually like sneak up and like stab one of the German soldiers. 
uh, during this. And this, this all, actually, see if you were going to compare this to a video game, this is where I'd compare it to a video game, actually, yeah. is where he's like, he sort of sees one soldier in the distance, but he sneaks into the room and takes on this other. Because so, they're, they're drinking, admittedly. He's, he's got a little bit of he, advantage. Yeah, he sees the, the German guy because he's throwing up, and so he like sneaks into the building. Yeah. That's, that's... Around, to try to get around him and then there's another officer like right there yeah that's... and he doesn't stab him he chokes him yeah that's like, that's felt like a that's felt like a video game this moment and not i don't mean that as a complaint i just mean in the uh the way that you it, yes, you yes. feel like you're sneaking in and yeah and you're sort of like eyeing up like the Living one guy in the out. distance yeah you're going over <laughs> there um because I, I think it was because as he was strangling the one in the foreground and we see the other one like off in the distance i was like don't turn around don't turn around and I, the yeah. amount of times in a video game i have been strangling someone <laughs> and i'm like don't turn around don't turn around well, just let me kill this guy first like yeah like... And, and the other guy's drunk enough to where he's like not really paying attention i mean he can hear him struggling but he probably assumes that his that guy's drunk too mm. maybe he is we don't really know because the second we see him he's getting choked <laughs> yeah but eventually it does of course see what's going on and schofield has to run and uh, he just pushes him because the guy's drunk <laughs> and I, I i can't even imagine how difficult it was to time this because by the time we get to the end of this scene where he jumps in the water it's like dawn so they had to time this so that it was yeah. dark at the start of the scene but it was going to be like halfway through dawn by the time he got to the end of the scene yeah this movie is uh i i there, there's a lot of it where i'm just gonna be like i don't know i don't know how they did it yeah, because <laughs> when he does get out of the water and he's like, he's he's you know he's so tired, he's so weak, he, he can barely move. Yeah. He gets out of the water. It's not too long after that he hears singing and he walks towards the. Well, I say walks. He stumbles <laughs> towards well, the singing. Well, he has to get out of the water, which is full of dead bodies too. Oh, that's right. Yes, yes, right. To to get out of the water, he has to claim over all because all the dead bodies that are floating down river have all kind of like they've had like a log, so they're all kind of piled up and sort of like in a little area. So he has to like crawl yeah. over them to get to the to get Ugh. to the. And he gets to the shore and he just starts crying. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's weighing on him, right? But he hears this singing yeah. and there's like this you know, British troop uh, of soldiers listening to this song. And afterwards, they, you know, some of them kind of notice him going, who are you? You're, you're not one of us. Like, obviously, you're on our side, but like, you're not one of our troop. Um, yeah. And he's like, I'm looking for, you know, I can't remember the name of it, but the, the, this this company. Dev- Devos or something? Yeah, something like that. Um, Devum, maybe. Uh, and... He's like, we're them. Like, we're the devils. <laughs> and he's like, oh, where's Commander so and so? Is it? Oh, he's he's in the the trenches. He's like, you know, further down. We're at the fourth wave. You know, we're we're waiting back here before we, we go in. Uh, yeah, they're the ones that dug the trenches, which is really cool to see because when you get the next so- shot when he's going into the new the trench and it's like super fresh like the the dirt's all white yeah. there's no dead bodies like t- t- it's t- super clean all of this trends is super clean because this is a whole new front that they've, they've built recently yeah, they they yeah. just dug it the night before yeah. that's what they were saying like that's why they're not they're not in the trench yet is because they're the last one to go since they were the ones who dug the night before like everything's super fresh and it's just the contrast from what nice. the first trench that Although, we saw you did say next shot there technically later in the same shot <laughs> I know. <laughs> the whole movie. Technically. <laughs> Technically. Uh, but yeah, so he's running through the trench because he's like almost at that finish line. He keeps saying, where's this commander? And everyone says, oh, he's further up, he's further up. And eventually he gets to the point because probably the money shot, that even though I do think all the stuff with the fire and the, the town is the most prettiest the movie is, the money shot of the movie... This is the most white-knuckled scene. Yeah, yeah. Is where he's further down the, the this, this, this front-line trench um, but you can't go now because we're about to just send everyone out. And it's worth noting as well is this trench 
doesn't have a hard front line. It has like a, a hill, so so they can all run up it quickly. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it's not the, the the wall. It's like an actual little mound. Uh, they can run up, and when he's told you have to wait for the first wave to go first, he's like, "No, the whole point of me being here." I didn't see that out loud, obviously, but you can see it in his eyes. No, I'm yeah. here to stop this from happening he's at all. Just off the wave, yeah. Yeah. So he makes this crazy choice to run across the top of the trench in no man's land this new no man's land as all this first wave are running out and this shot's in the trailer it's this beautiful moment where he's running across yeah. basically perpendicular uh is that the right word yeah yeah, yeah that's the right word okay <laughs> uh, yeah no I'm, I'm thinking, i was confusing parallel and perpendicular yeah perpendicular uh to everyone who's running out of the trench so he actually runs into a couple of them at one point uh, yeah. but it's this great shot where there's just all these extras these hundreds of men running across the screen and he's running through them because it's quicker than going through the trench uh, and then eventually he dives into the trench at the end but it's just a beautiful moment uh, there's, you know, there's blast there's, there's like mortar fire going off behind him you know oh yeah it's, it's great we don't see a whole lot of this I, these I, days I sort of wish it wasn't in the trailer <laughs> oh yeah no I agree I agree they should have held us back but they had to show something action packed I, I couldn't help but notice in the trailer that that scene only had him yeah he's on his own <laughs> so I, I sort of expected blake to die because of that yeah like, kind of sucks they should yeah they should have really tried and kept that back because i actually didn't remember the trailer that well so i was actually i wasn't surprised that he died necessarily but i definitely was surprised that it was that early like i i thought he'd you know that would be like the end of act two maybe one of them would die yeah but it was Is more it like, halfway. like it seems early but the stuff that happens after might have been the same amount of time. Uh, well, I think halfway's still early. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, I mean, because when I say early, I don't mean early in the movie. I mean early comparative to what I thought it was, you know, how long it was going to take. Yeah, uh, that's true. So I, I think... It's hard for me to judge the time, though, when I'm watching it. Like, it really goes by. <laughs> yeah, it's two hours. It flies in real quick. Uh, he gets to this dig-in where this, this commanding officer is, and it's Benedict Cumberbatch, and... The ladies will be happy. Yes, all the cumber bitches. Yes, uh, and he's like, I've got you know message from whoever. Uh, you have to read it, and he actually doesn't want to. He's like, No, the, the attack's happening. Go away, uh, you know, corporal. They're already talking about sending the second wave. Yeah, and he's like, No, you're going to read this. This is direct orders from you know army command. Blah blah blah, and like he's like okay give me it and he's he doesn't he doesn't want to he, he doesn't want any orders here he's like no this is the, the things are on he's determined to yeah. see this through he says that this is this is where we've got the germans like if we don't attack now then we're then the war's over and, and schofield and actually lose. and schofield yells out no it's a trap yeah they've been planning this read the orders mm-hmm. so eventually he does he takes it and he he looks at it and he reluctantly says okay you know tell him to stand down um and we get this little moment afterwards where he's like i thought today was going to be a good day i was hopeful that this was going to be the day we we turn this around and then he tells him to f off <laughs> like he just like, like and it's almost this, this soul crushing moment because it's like how hard it's been to get here to deliver these orders and this guy's like leave me alone he, he has no respect for the, the the trip he just made no he just says like it was worthless because next you know the next day they're going to send me another letter that says to attack and mm. we'll have missed our shot or whatever. Like we've seen it all before, which is, well, and well, it is kind of like, Oh, you're just like trying to, we, we know what this guy went through to get there. So yeah, well, it's, 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 like it's, it's world worthless. war. It's world war one in a nutshell. It's, uh, yeah. 
it's everything's meaningless because they just keep doing the same thing over and over. It's a stalemate. Uh, so we care. We're invested because we've followed this this personal journey for this one person. But ultimately, his personal journey technically saved you know hundreds of people. But like. 1600 apparently yeah yeah but you know in a couple of days time it'll be a different story and it'll just you know go and go uh which is why the actual climax of the movie isn't you know talking to him it's talking to the brother it's going to find the brother and uh you know and for it's like he was in the first wave so you know maybe he didn't make it maybe you maybe he's already gone uh and he's looking yeah at they the, tell him to go check in the casualty area and mm. it's i don't know if you were doing this but the whole time like we, we all we know about his brother is that he looks like him but a little bit older mm. he looks like blake but a little bit older so every time you see a face in that area i was like does that look like him does that look like him is that blake <laughs> hey, i wasn't even like totally convinced they weren't going to have the same actor like sort of made up differently to look you know older uh i i thought it was brilliant casting i, uh, I had no idea that they even look so much alike but they do actually yeah no no the casting is pretty solid and he's like oh my brother's here he's all excited for a minute um and he's like it yeah it's was... richard madden from game of thrones yeah and he's uh it's quick and so is the other kid blake was also from game of thrones i'll take your word for it <laughs> yeah but they, they're part of two different families <laughs> uh but you know he's he, he just kind of pauses there's like an awkward pause and then he says it was quick and he gives them the you know the the rings um uh, <laughs> i mean would you tell him the truth it was long and painful <laughs> it took forever there was so much blood at one time he became delirious and forgot where he was and, and just and just when i thought he was dead and i was about to put him you know in the war he started streaming again he was kicking and you know there was like i'm adding stuff now not, but... 30 seconds later after he died um, help showed up so. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah don't mention that part don't mention that part uh, but you know and he says he should go get some food go get yourself seen too but it's been a dangerous trip and he's like but then he has to turn around and say no he was a good man he saved my life uh you know all all you know all that sentiment um yeah. and they shake each other's hands he, he, and it's you know so yeah he shakes his hand and he says i'm i'm glad you were with him and it's kind of a nice thing to hear because it means that okay this whole thing might have been meaningless from the perspective of the war because he's not appreciated and what he did well he did technically save people and well that is, is, is important doesn't necessarily mean how much in the grand scheme of the war however the fact that he got to get to the brother and let him know that his his brother died you know with someone he wasn't alone like that that means something that that actually yeah. gives him the ending that, that the story needs and the final moment of the film is he just walks off and i love the symmetry of this the book ending of this because he walks off away from where the trenches are and all of a sudden, just like the start of the movie, there's no trenches in the visuals and it's just a field that looks quite pretty. It's like serene. Yeah. And he sits down next to a tree and for the first time in the movie, he pulls out his own photo of someone and it's like, it looks like a wife and a daughter or you know, something to that effect. And it's like Princess Leia. <laughs> and he looks and he sort of breathes a sigh of relief. And I think you know that's ultimately the arc of the movie. It's about him finding that he actually does want to hope to go home. Um that's like well that's what it said i mean on the back of the he flips it over and it says come back home to us or yeah, something. oh yeah exactly yeah it even says that yeah uh, but i think throughout the film he almost it, it almost i don't want to say given up but he almost couldn't accept the idea of thinking about home because it made it too hard because the possibility of not making it was too much and this this journey made him want to believe in the hope again that he could go back to his family 
uh like yeah. that that's that's the central arc of the movie for me is 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 that and uh that works and that's why the movie ends here you know he, he shuts his eyes and the movie cuts to black and that's it that's that's the end yeah. of the story and that's it's what good and that's why it works it's a focused story that has a really good character arc but more than that it's the filmmaking it's this this constant like mm-hmm. you know ticking clock of just tension because it's all one take going through enemy territory all these fantastic visuals uh it's wonderful really is and i mean more on like the the scene with his brother richard madden like like, like i said i was definitely looking at all the faces to see if i can spot who is his brother who's his brother mm. and then the second you hear him talk you're like that's him and it's not just because of like the 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 filmmaking style like of course the person who's shouting overhead is going to be him it's it's like the way he speaks he sounds like he comes from the same region which is from the same family like like the dialogue could have been said by by blake which is actually very impressive because richard madden is not english richard madden is scottish and in fact he's from very (laughs) near me so <laughs> so the fact that you heard his voice and it sounded like he was from the same place was, was quite good on his part yeah like immediately my ears just perked and said that's him he's that's definitely his brother because families sound alike and they sounded exactly alike i think the ending works really well um i think it does a good job of like every single scene in this movie is about schofield's arc every single scene yeah. is about giving him the motivation and the story he needs and the journey he needs to kind of like go through the arc that he's having in the film and that's why it's good storytelling that's why it feels so tight that's why nothing feels frivolous nothing feels added on and you know it's kind of how we're kind of jokingly saying that uh, saving private ryan even though it's the most impressive scene in the movie doesn't actually need d-day d-day if anything feels like a, almost uh i don't want to say egotistical but of self-indulgent that's a bit harsh but this movie doesn't have anything like that I, I, there's no point in this movie where it feels like this is here because oh, we have to do this just because we want to not because it doesn't actually add to the story kind of thing um no everything is there for for a reason and yeah. nothing is superfluous um i think it's yeah it's a beautifully made film i love the style of just you, you know um the one shot is always going to make things more intense. Um, but the style of, how do I explain this? Like there's a lot of butts in this movie. It's, we got to get to, we got to get from point A to point B. So we go from the, the trenches to into no man's land, but he hurts himself. And then we get to the, the German trench, but there's a, booby trap then we get to the the farmhouse um but the a plane shows up <laughs> we get to um the the um we get to uh, a, a cost but the bridge is out we get into a cost but there's a sniper like everything has a butt so <laughs> you know i like that style it's constantly it's constantly on the edge of your seat like there's there's always stakes it's great I should put that on the on the the Blu-ray cover. There's lots a, of butts. There's lots of butts in this movie. <laughs> maybe the porn parody version. Maybe they can put that on that cover. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's where I heard it. Yeah. Uh, so, I no, I I'm I'm very much impressed with this film. Uh, I I think I went in hope hoping it would be kind of 
the spectacle I want it to be. And I think what's impressive about the one-shot thing is not just like the, the act of doing it, but the fact that it, it achieves all these great visual, almost painting moments like in the middle of these one-takes. Uh, even the, something as simple when in the farmhouse, there's a, there's a shot where it's following them through outside and it goes inside, and there's a moment where Schofield's in perfect silhouette at the window uh, when you're looking outside, and then he walks out yeah. and he's perfectly lit. And I just, like, as someone who shot stuff and knows how much of a pain it is to actually get all the lighting right and making sure your camera yeah. settings are right so that when you do something like that, that everything's exactly as well lit or as not well lit as you want it to be as you go. It'd be so easy mm-hmm. to, like, do that, but then have the second bit look a bit shit because, well, you, you let it perfectly for that moment, so the bit after. But now everything is methodically and meticulous in how it's presented. Uh, and that just makes it super impressive. And, I mean, it should be when it's at that professional level, but... I'm saying I appreciate the how much how much difficult it is. <laughs> I think I mean I think Deacons is just the best in his class. Like I I think he sets the bar for what is capable of cinematography. And um uh, I don't I don't know if he's ever done a movie where he's just kind of winged it. <laughs> like, mm. But cuz everything is so meticulous and you know, I, I, I've only recently heard of his name, and I think he's been in the business a long, long, long time. But um, I, I've not, like, hey, on, you know I, when you watch a movie and it's him. Here's a question. Can you even name another cinematographer? Nope. <laughs> there you go. Uh, uh, John Carpenter. That's the director. <laughs> nice try, though. <laughs> Didn't he? Didn't he try to do cinematography? No. Okay. Uh, not, not that I know of, but it's certainly not what he's <laughs> known for. Uh, I, I can give you one or two. I can give you Dean Cundy. I can give you. Uh, I don't know. I mean, even I don't know that many. It's, it's not like uh, that. That you know. I you know I notice when movies have like nice cinematography, but I don't really go because of the cinematographer with the exception of deacons mm. if i hear he's shooting a film like i'll make a note of it and be like i should probably see that because it's probably gonna Hell, be beautiful nolan cinematographer up until recently was wally fister and then wally fister decided he wanted to be a director and made transcendence which was terrible and he's just kind of disappeared since then but up until dark knight rises i think wally fister was nolan's dp and his movies all look great so mm-hmm. you know uh but hey, uh, that's 1917. Uh, go see it, basically. This is the advice. Go see it in the theatre. and <laughs> the biggest screen possible. Because <laughs> it benefits from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think we've said everything we need to say. It, but we do have to rate it, though. So, Tara, what are you rating 1917 out of 10? It's a 10. It's a masterpiece. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is my, this is my type of film. Um, and I think it um, whatever expectations I had and hopes that it would be good it exceeded everything and I think it's a beautiful character study I think it's a beautiful film I think it's a great war film and um, it tells you so much about World War One without like even knowing the, much of the history if you don't if you don't know like you don't need to you just you get there and you're like, oh, this is what it's like. This is what it's like. And I highly recommend watching um, They Shall Not Grow Old as a companion piece. It's a um, documentary came out technically two years ago by Peter Jackson. And uh, it's a really 
really good watch. And I, I, I thought about it a lot when I was watching this movie. Mm. Um, yeah. Uh, what am I giving it? I, 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 I want to give it a nine out of 10. That's not high enough. <laughs> See, this is the problem. This is the problem. <laughs> I mean, I know you had the one complaint, but that's really worth knocking in a whole point. That's not how my ratings work, right? It's, it's not like, here's the one thing, so a point gets off for this and a point gets taken off for that. It's, it's, it's more of a general overall feeling than it is anything else. Um, All right. Uh, and I, I you don't this, want to put it up there with Terminator? I give this a 9 out of 10. It's the sort of thing that a lot of my 10s happen in time after multiple viewings. Like, you know, I don't necessarily jump to 10 for some things right away. Uh, so it's not impossible yeah. that it will rise, but uh, nine out of ten for me. Uh, well, when I went and saw it, I thought, I wonder if this is ten worthy. So I saw it again this morning, and I said, <laughs> "Yep, it's a ten. Yeah, um, I'm I'm just happy though because I watched this and Jojo Rabbit this week, and my top ten for 2019 was looking kind of rough, and I'm just happy that it's starting to fill out a little bit and doesn't look so weak because <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Me too. Now, I mean, obviously, now I have a clear thing I'm rooting for for the Oscars, which the nominations come out. Um, well, at the time of recording, they come out tomorrow morning. So, hoping, uh, hoping for good things. So, so today, because this, this is go up tomorrow. So today, right? Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty confident this is going to be nominated for a bunch of stuff. Uh, I wouldn't worry about that. And now I have something to root for. I don't know if the I don't know if the actors have been nominated. Like probably if they were nominated probably for the not. Globes. But it'll be director, cinematography, best picture. You know, maybe okay. costuming. Willem Dafoe has to get it for best actor. So <laughs> if he's nominated. Uh, you're fond of my lobster, ain't you? <laughs> Say it. You're fond of my lobster. Anyway, uh, that is uh, that has been 1914. Uh, sorry, not 1914. That's the start of the war. 1917. So you can let us know what you think uh, in the comments below if you've seen the movie. Uh, like, subscribe, and all that stuff. Ding the bell on YouTube uh, to get the notifications. You can support us by sharing us on social media, or of course you can rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. More people will find us that way. You can also support us financially over at patreon.com slash TV, as we mentioned earlier. So go and have a look at that. Uh, otherwise check out some of the other movie content we have uh, me and tara here we have a science fiction movie podcast called the atomic cinema experiment the ace uh, which we do every single week and talk about sci-fi movies uh, me and tim also have a, a horror movie podcast called screams after midnight so those might be uh, of interest uh, it's worth mentioning now admittedly admittedly uh, 1917 was released publicly too late to be involved in this but uh, all of us did do our top 50s of the decade and we uh there's a video series coming out right now uh, it's a 10-part series going through all five male fuzz tv uh hosts uh top 50s so part one's already up at the time of this going out uh part two I should know, be soon and this movie's not on there i know i'm sorry <laughs> i'm so sorry but there had to be a cut off there had to be a, a time where we just had to get it done okay Let's but. just let's just re-record the top five. <laughs> yeah, but then you'd have to kick out something else that you thought was good enough to be in your top five. I know. Let me just do a tie. <laughs> no, 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 okay, no. Okay, add this no into ties. an honorable mention somehow. Do <laughs> you know what I'll do? I'll have just it all... do a little scroll at the bottom. I'll have the whole thing pause. I'll appear on camera. And say, Tara would like everyone to know that 1917 <laughs> is now an honorable mention. Um... 
I know, what a bummer. I could have seen it, too, because I, you know, live in the L.A. area, and I I could have seen it, uh, but I waited. I waited because I know I was going to review it with you, so I had to wait till it was, like, available for both of us to watch. So that's that's my fault, is what you're saying. And yes. You say that even though you saw it again two days later. You, you, you tell me you wouldn't have waited to see it again when it got its public release? I didn't know release. it was going to be a 10. <laughs> I, I had my suspicions. I, okay, honestly, I definitely went into the movie going, this is going to be a 10, and it has to prove that it's not <laughs> while watching it. What would that what would it have to take? It would have to be like, they get to the, like, it's, it's perfect until they get to Cumberbatch, but instead of Cumberbatch, it's and Tommy it, Wiseau. It's like Pennywise or something. <laughs> no, Tommy Wiseau. And he's like, oh, hi. You, you bring me orders from your, your captain. Oh, hi, Lance Corporal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a trap. What a funny story. Schofields. Um I think we still send I him. Why always end up in our reviews? Because <laughs> he's perfect. That's why. <laughs> I think I say we still send him over. It's you know all this effort, <laughs> all this effort to set up the attack. We should just send them. <laughs> Everybody betray me. <laughs> I am done with these orders. All right, uh, that has been our eighteen seventeen discussion. Thank you very much for watching and listening. We always appreciate it. Keep watching movies, guys, and if you can get it, it's always nice to have diplomatic immunity.